be here with you today. I'm just realizing I didn't really put, I put, uh, oh, good morning. Uh, I, I just am realizing, Traven, that I didn't put uh, my blush on, and so I look like I've escaped from the grave because I have my brown on, but I didn't get the blush on. I knew I was missing something this morning, but, you know, we come as we are. And if you were here with us on Monday, then you know we're, we're in our new studio and we're trying out our different sets, and so I have my new desk here that was set up on some rollers, and I put my foot on it in a place that I shouldn't have, and my desk broke, and things flew everywhere, and it was hilarity. Uh, so today I'm being very tentative because it's very temporary today. So keep an eye on me because I'm going to get excited as we're talking about things today, and uh, we don't want to send the desk flying again. <laughs> this is great fun here. Hey, I'm Shannon Penrod, and I'm going to be with you for the next hour talking about autism from a 360-degree perspective. I identify as a pony, a proud parent of a neurodiverse individual. I'm going to put this out to you guys. Uh, Traven has said that he would like for all of you who watch the show that we need to have a tribe name for all of the people, and that's people who are parents, it's people who are on the spectrum, it's teachers. So he, you know, he likes the pony thing. I'm going to float this out to you guys. Do you guys want to be called ponies, partners of individuals that are neurodiverse? How do you guys feel about that? Would you like to be called ponies? Let us know. I'm saying good morning to Liliana, who's watching from Riverside. Liliana, how do you feel about being identified as a pony? If we were, if we were to call you guys our ponies, would that um, feel weird to you, or would you guys like that? We don't want to name you without uh, asking permission. But anyway, I'm a pony, a parent of a neurodiverse individual, thrilled to be here as an ally. That's all I want to be as an ally, someone who is helpful and useful to not only individuals who are on the spectrum, but all the people who love them, because I'm one of those people. Love my son, just want to know, sometimes I do and say things that are the wrong thing. And I want to know. Don't you want to know? Don't we all want to be better allies? That's what I want as a parent. Um, and I have friends and, and other loved ones who are on the spectrum, and I just I, I want to be of use to them. Liliana says it's okay with her. So if you feel differently, you need to be writing in, which reminds me we are live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, and Twitter, and about a dozen other places. Our fabulous Traven will show you some of those on the screen in the next few minutes. Good morning, Susie. Susie, how do you feel? Do you, are, do you feel, if we referred to you guys as ponies, um, how, how would you feel about it? Let your vote be heard. But these guys are writing in on the platforms that they're on. Today, I don't even know what today's date is, and I don't have, that's the only thing I look at. My, it's, it's Wednesday, uh, Oct, uh, not October, it's August 24th, uh, 2022. Yes, I actually know the year this time. Uh, I think I said it was 1997 the other day. Scary, very scary. Um, so we're live right now. If you're watching us this morning, you can be writing in like Liliana and Susie. Uh, Traven is showing you some of the things I'll, uh, oh no, I need to move to the other side. There we are. Uh, and here are some of the places where we podcast. I'm pointing the wrong direction. Look at that. Um, we are a free download as a podcast. You know, we only podcast audio now. This is our new thing that we started this summer Oh, Susie wants to be a pony. Well, that's, this is it. So far, we have two. We're two for two. So who else wants to, to speak? Uh, speak out here. But those are all the places that you can be watching the podcast audio only. If you want to get the video, 
we archive all of our podcast video on YouTube now. We're all in with YouTube because it's a platform that you guys have told us repeatedly that you can get to to watch the video. Um, and we're trying to be very mindful of those of you who are listening. We do a lot of visuals and stuff, but I'm going to try to be better about describing them. For those of you who are listening or um, that, that, that your visual sense is something that, um, that you are not relying on as much for whatever reason that might be. Okay, so uh, but please be writing in. Today we're going to be talking about in just a few minutes, uh, we've been doing a different series this summer because, um, you know, parent-to-parent talks uh, because I'm a parent. And as we were setting up the new studio, it felt like a good time for us to sort of regroup and archive some of the, the bigger talks that we've done over a period of time and just give you my parent-to-parent take on things. Now, here's, here's the disclaimer. I'm not an expert. I am not a doctor. I'm not even playing one on TV. Um, and I, yes, I do have that book out, Autism Parent-to-Parent, because I want to speak plainly to parents about our experience because it's different than anything else. I am not in any way trying to overshadow when it's an individual who's on the spectrum because they have their own essential perspective and I'm always trying to find a way to make it possible for them to have their voice heard in whatever form their voice is, right? Um, but I do think that the parent experience is unique and it's emotionally unique and what we come into it is different than everybody else. We aren't, most of us, I mean, I guess some of you are doctors, but we're not doctors. I, I studied a little psychology in college, but I wasn't prepared on day one with all the things that I needed to know and I found it personally overwhelming and I still still get triggered by the smallest thing, even though we're many years later. My son is 19. He's starting his sophomore year of college. By the way, he made Dean's List with no support. My life is super great now. I really have nothing to complain about at all. Um, But you can say one thing to me about the early days of autism when we couldn't afford treatment, when treatment was too far away, when somebody wasn't giving us our hours. And man, it is trauma city for me. Um, because it was hard and nobody was, I won't say nobody, that's a lie. There were people who were trying to help me and say, stand in this line, don't stand in that, that line. Those people saved me. And those people said to me when I said, how will I repay you? They all said, pay it forward. So that's really what I'm trying to do here is pay for it. Anything that I've learned, I'm trying to put it out there in a format that is consumable for anybody who has the internet um, and start the, the discussion uh, with, between you and other people and you and me and our tribe. Our, uh, we're ponies, right? Um, so that's what these parent-to-parent talks are about. And we're going to talk about aggression today, which is a very woo, emotionally charged topic. And we're, and we're going to go there. So I've brought my tissues because I'm ready. And I want to say to you to get some tissues ready. Before I do that, I want to take uh, just a second. You know, we're always about providing good information. And and I've been sharing with you some good information. I'm going to share it again. And we're going to be sharing it a lot because it's important to me. And I partially it's because I know that some of you are looking for answers and that that part of it is is that often you can't find answers and you need uh, help 
right? Well, this is one more avenue that has the potential to be helpful. Um, okay, so uh, for those of you who don't know, a couple of months ago, we covered a study that was done by the National Institutes of Health. It was published and um, funded by the National Institutes of Health. It was conducted at Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Medicine. And what they found was that babies that were exposed in utero during pregnancy to acetaminophen, because the mother took acetaminophen, some drug containing acetaminophen, which could be Tylenol, Excedrin, or so many other things, that those babies whose moms took that while they were pregnant had a much higher incidence of being diagnosed with autism after birth. So this is concerning to a lot of people, and and it's something that we need to be spreading the word as a community. I want all of you to be talking with the women in your lives about this because doctors were prescribing it. We all thought that it was safe, right? And research is ongoing. We don't know everything yet, but it was very clear there was a much higher incidence for those babies whose mothers took Tylenol. Such, a, such a, a huge study that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration has now urged careful consideration before using any pain-relieving products during pregnancy. That's how big of a deal this is. Um, it is important information that we have to share. But what about for those of you who did take Tylenol or something that had acetaminophen in it like Excedrin or, you know, there's a million products out there that have acetaminophen and not just Tylenol. Um, and, and so if you were taking that when you were pregnant and now you have children, and I, I know some of you have multiple children on the spectrum, what recourse do you have? Well, um, that's why this is important to you. I'm going to read this to you right off the page because it's important. If you or a loved one use Tylenol or other medic- medications containing acetaminophen while pregnant and later gave birth to a child diagnosed with autism, you may be entitled to financial compensation. Yes, I said that. The law firm of Shapiro Legal Group is now eva- evaluating potential legal claims by parents of autistic children. I'm urging you right now to call Shapiro Legal Group, uh, call them today to see if you qualify, you may qualify for, for financial compensation. And please spread this word, this message to everybody in the community so that everybody can be aware. It is important that you understand that there are deadlines. And so you need to file a claim as soon as possible. So I urge you not to wait. Here's the important information. It's on the screen there. You can reach Shapiro Legal Group at 888 888- Six five seven zero five five five. It's right there on the screen for you, but I'll say it slower for those of you on podcast eight 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 six five seven zero four five five. And I'm going to put this down for a second so you can see it's Shapiro Legal Group, and their website is shapirolegalgroup.com forward slash autism. So that's shapirolegalgroup.com forward slash autism. I also have to read this. I'm supposed to read it like, you know, those fast things, and you know I can't do that. So here we go. Shapiro Legal Group, PLLC, associates with attorneys throughout the country to help people nationwide, is licensed in New York and Washington, D.C., and has its principal office at 60 East, 42nd Street, New York, New York. This ad was read by a non-attorney spokesperson. That would be me. I am not an attorney. I'm not even pretending to be an attorney. But I am a spokesperson for this because I think it's important, and I hope that you guys will share this. There is all the information on the screen, 888-657-0455, please.
please uh, call as soon as you can and see if you qualify to file a claim. All right, thank you. Thank you for, uh, and thank you, Traven, for sharing that with us. Okay, good morning to Lori. So thr thrilled that you're here. It's time. You know, we, we're not even going to do jargon because there's enough jargon in the PowerPoints that we felt that that's enough for you. So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm off today. I'm, there we go. Uh, so I need to sit where I'm supposed to sit. Hit my mark. Yes. Um, so we're going to talk about aggression today. And you're going to notice that, you know, I've got a PowerPoint for those of you that aren't uh, watching. You can't see this, but I have a PowerPoint. And I try to put pictures that go with what I'm saying on the screen most of the time. But when we start talking about challenging behavior and we start talking about aggression, I feel very strongly that we have to show pictures of cute uh, cats and dogs because this is emotionally charged enough. And I just don't want to put the picture of the crying baby up. You know what I'm saying? Or the child who is having a fit and hitting somebody. So yes, uh, I noticed that there are cute puppies and kittens and that is the reason why. Uh, now having said that, we're gonna continue on. <laughs> and you can, you, if you hate it, I, I, I feel you, but I, I feel very strongly about it. We have to have something to meter because we're going to talk about this the tough stuff here. This is the tough stuff. When our kids are aggressive, it's really tough. Um, but here's the spoiler alert. I'm going to get right to it. This is a form of communication. And we really have to start looking at it that way. We have to, just like we take the stigma out of, you know, when somebody is stimming, we got to take the stigma out of the aggression. It's harder because we have a personal feeling about it. But it, if we start to think of it as communication, we're going to be much more effective at dealing with this effectively. And it is. It is a form of communication. Um, oh, Susie B., how sweet are you? She says, I've learned so much from you. Honestly, I don't know where my family would be without you. Big, I love the blue hearts. Amanda C., we're all about your blue hearts now. Um, and Lori says, same as us. Oh, my gosh, you guys. You're, you're just like my heart. It's so full. Um, so let's see if we can't do more today. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the why here. Uh, isn't that a cute puppy? That actually looks like my dog, who's more of a Cujo than anything else, but that's kind of what uh, one of my dogs looks like. Um, so first, the why. There are some people who are going to argue and say, well, if it's a form of communication, then why don't we just let them be aggressive? And, and, I, and this is without judgment, this is only with love that I say to you, if you're asking that question today or if you're arguing that question, then you are what I call in the upside down. And listen, you're in good company if you're there because I have been in the upside down as a parent of a child on the spectrum who was hitting me. I know a little bit about when you're in the upside down and we got to go there today. We got to talk about it because you can't stay in the upside down. Um, it is not, if your child has to be aggressive to get their needs met, it means that they're not getting their needs met in an easier way. It's hard to be aggressive. Like, it's a lot of work to be aggressive. It's emotionally taxing. It's physically taxing. I don't think anybody wants to be aggressive, but there are times when we all feel so frustrated Look, if you've never been so frustrated that you wanted to punch a bag of flour, I, um, I, then I, I want to study. I want to eat what you're eating, and I want to study what you're studying, right? I think we've all been frustrated enough to have that feeling before, at least once in our lives, right? 
Um, and imagine if that was your every day and you couldn't get your needs met, right? Um, so we can't leave them there. And I know yesterday Dr. Grampiche said something about, and society doesn't allow for it. And then, of course, you know, people wrote in and said, well, then maybe we should change society. And that's great, and I want to change society for a lot of things, but not for aggression. I don't, I, you know, none of us wants to be in a place, look, you know, don't make me go into the talk about what happened at the Oscars, right? It was so shocking, and everybody was like, that's, we just can't have that. Right? We just can't have that. that and, and it's true, and it's for a reason, because none of us wants to walk around constantly feeling like we could be hit. And society doesn't allow for it. And you, as a parent or as a loved one, may make the decision for yourself, if you're in the upside down, to let the person continue to aggress towards you. But we cannot, part of being in the upside down is that you're lying to yourself if you're saying you're doing it on behalf of that person. Because what will happen eventually is that that person, there will be consequences that will be taken out of your hands and it won't be good and you won't like it. So it's never the best thing to just let someone aggress, um, especially when it's towards people or things and it's destructive. Um, Deborah, I'm so thrilled that you're here. I miss you. I hope that you are well. How is your whole family? Um, haven't seen you since before the pandemic, but uh, love you and glad that you're here. Okay. So why are we going to work on this? Always it's important for me to think about the why, and I think that the main core why here is in service of the person. That it, The first thing that we have to do is figure out how to make it so that they can communicate their needs without aggressing. That's, that's really what the why has to be. Uh, I don't know what happened PowerPoint-wise. There. there we go. Okay, and see, we're going to talk about the upside down, so we have to look at the really super cute uh, koala because this is the hard, hard stuff. Um, but I can't see the whole screen, Traven. Something went wonkinator. Um, <clears throat> but I can tell you that when you're in the upside down, symptoms of it are that you are justifying aggress aggressive behavior. Um, look, I was there. My son used to hit me in the head when he was very, very little. Uh, he was three years old, and he would pummel me in the head. And I would find all kinds of justification for it. I'd be, you know, well, you know, he didn't get enough sleep. He didn't whatever. Um, and eventually, I would blame myself. I'm just being honest with you that I, I was like, well, if, I, if I'd been better at this or if I'd done this and, you know, I'm the only person he can take it out on, um, you know, it's better that he hit me than hit, you know, kids at school. Um, you know what I mean? And I got to a point in the upside down where I believed that I sort of had it coming. Now, I also, um, I just want to say that for a second, because if there's anybody out there who it finds yourself, and it's insidious, you guys, right? Because we don't even notice that we're doing it. But if I know if I say it to you and say, oh, well, my child is hitting me, but it's I kind of have it coming, right? I, I think immediately you guys all go, no, Shannon, you don't have it coming, right? We will take care of somebody else for it, but we don't notice when we're doing it ourselves. And I wasn't admitting this to anybody. When my son was hitting me, there was one time that I went, um, there was a friend of mine who was looking to buy a house. So it was our thing. She had a child who was a year younger than my son. And um, we went to go look at a model house with the two boys. 
and Jem had already been diagnosed with autism, and it was already a thing where all of our friends were like, well, what does that mean, and what's that going to, you know, what's that going to do, and I don't, you know, is he going to be able to play with my child, and worried about what it was going to mean for them. You know what I'm saying, right? And um, anyway, we were outside, and we'd done really well going through the whole house with the two boys, and her son was just barely, you know, steady on his feet walking, still, you know, occasionally not steady, and both of them wanted to stand on this little ledge, and uh, and the baby was, you know, toddling a little bit, and my son just went over and pushed him, pushed him off the edge. Now, he fell like a foot, but it was horrifying to me. And what was twice as horrifying was the look on the other mom. She was like, why would he do that? That's just, that's just mean. That's just horrible. And she was afraid of my son. So I, okay, I, um, I at that point, um, what, you know, I, anytime we were around other people, I was afraid of what my son was going to do. I stopped going around friends as much. I made excuses for whatever. And if he did anything that was mildly aggressive, I made up all kinds of things and eventually just didn't go be with friends and isolated us because I was in the upside down. And the further you get into the isolation, what I found is the more you internalize it and say that it's your fault. I used to have bite marks on my arms and because my son would bite me. And I, you know, stopped wearing sleeveless. I also have horrible arms. I'm, I'm somebody who should never wear sleeveless. So I was like, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. Listen to that justification, right? And I didn't even want to tell our team about it because I was afraid of what our team, I thought people would think he was a monster. And that they would go, well, that's autism. And then, it, then he would be labeled forever. So look at the list here justifying it, excusing it, hiding it, blaming yourself for the aggressive behavior and thinking you deserve to be hit or bit or kicked or whatever. I did all of those things. And I know a lot of parents who, if we let aggression go unchecked, it's, you know, I'm not saying that this always happens, but it's easy to go there. If you're not there, Bless you, and I'm glad that you're not there, but you have to be mindful and guard yourself against this because it's all lies. There, you know, I love when Dr. Grand Pichet comes on the show and she says that aggression is not a symptom of autism. It's, it's not part of the diagnosis. It's not part of any classification of autism. It isn't. It isn't there. It is a response to not being able to communicate your needs. That is what it is. That's all that it is. So if you are having a person on the spectrum that you love aggressing, it does not need to stay that way. It doesn't. It might be a hard road to change it, but there is hope. There's every reason to believe that it can change, and you're probably going to need some help. But I first want to put it in your backpack that it can change. It absolutely, absolutely can change. and, and we shouldn't just hope that it's going to change. And I'm going to go through a lot of reasons why. Um, and uh, I want to answer some questions here. So Aisha, sending you a hug because uh, I hear you say this. Bobby is asking, is this autistic-led? And no, if you came in at the beginning, Bobby, I said it is. this is not from the perspective of a person on the spectrum. This is from the perspective of a parent, what it's like as a parent. 
Um, but I want to say that I'm a parent who's an ally, and it's very important to me that I speak up for people who are on the spectrum. I do not speak for them. Um, but I think for the parents that are out there, we need someone to language this in a way that we can understand it. Our children are not broken. They're not wrong. Um, they are not monsters who aggress, and, and aggression is not part of autism. Aggression is because they need a way to be listened to. So I'm ar always arguing for getting uh, it possible for us to listen to people on the spectrum. So I hope that makes that clear, Bobby. But I myself am not on the spectrum. This is all from a parent point of view. Uh, Lori says, Shannon, my son gets angry, uh, but we give him the look and he stops. But then he says, I'm leaving. It is because it's not what he wanted to do, say. At school, he doesn't get angry like that. He uses his voice. And also, he likes to sit on friends and close to friends at school. So we were working on the bubble. Yeah, personal space. You know, um, my son, I mentioned this the other day, my son had a problem that he didn't know how to connect with other kids. Um, but he saw that if you created conflict, there's always, you know, communication happens. So you get attention and things, you know. And so he noticed that if you go running into a group of kids and crash into them, they now pay attention to you and they talk to you. And that was the only way that he could communicate, hey, I want to play with you, because he didn't have a more effective method. So he would crash into other kids. And if you, if you want to know more about interventions, we talked about the four usual suspects on Monday, and you go back and watch that show. So we saw that part of it was that he needed attention, and part of it was that he wanted access to, to those kids. So first thing that we had to do was see what it was that he wanted, then teach him a, a more effective way rather than crashing into the kids. By the way, we also talked to the other kids, hey, he's going to come to you and this is what he's going to do and please pay attention to him. We taught them how do you receive attention from somebody because that was, you know, preschool and kindergarten. Um, but then ultimately once we taught him all that stuff, there was a great show that HBO did, and I don't know if you can still find it, but it was Peter, um, I think was the name of the little boy, and he had, I believe he had Down syndrome. But they followed Peter at school for a year at kindergarten, and then they went back maybe for second grade, but Peter had the same problem. Peter would go crashing into the other kids, and what was amazing was that for the documentary, and it was a series on HBO, they went around and they interviewed all the other kids. And there was one little girl I remember that they talked to her and she said, I really like Peter, but Peter crashes into me and it hurts me. And then they showed Peter crashing into her and she said, I don't like it when Peter does that and then I don't want to be around Peter. Um, and, and by the time that my son was, once we first taught him other ways to do it and then you know we put in all these antecedent modifications and consequence strategies, but then it happened to be on. I don't, it wasn't part of our intervention, but it happened to be on. And he came and watched it, and he looked at it, and he was like, oh, other kids don't like it. When kids, when I, and, and it was Peter, so it wasn't, he wasn't an emotional. He was like, oh, Peter does that, and the kids don't like it. Hmm. And then he didn't do it anymore. So um, I, think, I think it's important, Lori, to, to like reward him whenever he's giving people space but clearly he wants something. Clearly he wants to be close to them because maybe he's learned that's when you'll play with me or that's when you pay attention to me when I get close enough to you. So I would have your team look at how is he 
requesting attention from peers. How is he getting it? Maybe have them consult and go in the classroom and help the other kids. Because when you say the other kids, when, when he does that, that means he wants to be friends with you. And the kids go, oh, I didn't know that. Um, because they're, they're not perfect socialites either. <laughs> you know what I mean? They need help and support to know what to do too. Um, but I think it's interesting. I want to know what it is he gets angry about that you give him the look. What is he mad about? Um, that's always my first thing. So what are you uh, mad about? Um, and Bobby, I completely agree with you. If your child is being violent, they are telling you that they need something. That's what this, did you watch the first slide? I said it's communication. We're on the same page, Bobby. I, we really are. Uh, okay. Uh, and Bobby says again, address, uh, address why the aggression is happening. Uh, yes, Bobby, I'm so glad that you're here, but I hope you see that we are on the exact same page. Um, Wonderful. And she says, thank you. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, Lelouch says, my son has been violent before, but not being able to communicate. Since he has been more verbal, it's been a lot better. And that's no coincidence. That is absolutely no co coincidence, Lelouch. But now I've noticed his aggression is up again when he loses his game. Well, I mean, different things are going to happen. Development, you know, you for all of us. Like, think about it. You, you know, there might be something that you're good at and you get to a certain level, but then you're at the next level and it's hard again, right? Because it's something new to negotiate. I'm doing pottery. I make these mugs, right? And, and I was so happy when I learned how to get the mug to go this. And I was like, I've done it. I've arrived. Now I'm learning a new skill. It's hard again um, because that's what learning and growing is, right? But I think the, the, the point that you hit, Lelouch, I want to talk about a little bit that we see that when a person has the ability to communicate their needs, it's like a magic X that happens on a graph. So somebody can be engaged in a whole bunch of challenging behavior. It's way up here, right? And their ability to communicate is way down here. But as you give them some means of communication, whether it's pointing, you know, touching an iPad, vocal, whatever, you teach them a way to communicate and you listen to it, right? As that goes up, it creates a magic X on the graph. I call it the magic X. And the challenging behavior comes down. Because if I have a way of getting my needs met, then I don't need to aggress, right? And I'm not frustrated. Because if I have a way of saying to you, I want water, and you understand it, I don't have to throw anything. But if I point to the water and you don't get, and you give me juice and what I wanted was water, now I got to do something else and eventually I'm going to get mad. It's human nature. Um, but Lelouch says, I don't know if I should take the game away. It's an app on the iPad. I've been trying to help him talk through his emotions, but he's punching and kicking and it's hard. Yeah. Um, I don't know how old he is and I don't know what his ability language-wise um, but are you working with an ABA team because there's a really, depending on what level he's at in receptive, um, when my son didn't play video games until he was later, I was really adamant about him not having the video games until he was six. But it was at a time, now there's all these apps that are really good for building language. If it were now, I would have given him an iPad sooner, you know what I'm saying? But so by the time he was six, he had enough expressive language that I could say to him, hey, here's the thing. I know you're frustrated. What are some things we can do when we're frustrated? And we would pretend and we'd go, well, you know, I go, ugh. And I, you know, and I go, ugh, but I don't bang the electronics. And I, you know, and then we would act it out for him. 
uh, about like, is this good or bad? There was a whole thing. I think it was on the Disney Channel that it was there was a dinosaur at the time that they would uh, show uh, a cartoon and it, and with a dinosaur and uh, he's the dinosaur is frustrated. Should he do this? And they would show him kicking his toy um, or him going, Ugh, you know, and making a noise. And then the child could pick which one was great, right? You could do that yourself or search and see if you can find something online like that. Um, but the, the thing is, um, if, if he's old enough, what I said to my son was, hey, um, you're, you, you know, you're teaching me right now. What you're teaching me is that when you're playing your video game, you get mad and you throw things. And does mom like it when you throw things? No. <laughs> so eventually I'm going to tell you that you can't play that game anymore. Do we want to do that? No. And I would say, so what else can we do? Now he had skin in the game. He didn't want his game taken away from him. Now, if your child is not old enough to understand that, we don't want to put you know, false threats out because that raises their anxiety. But I think you do have to teach him and model the behavior. Sit down and play the game with him and lose and be frustrated and go, darn it, or whatever is acceptable in your household. Show him that's what you can do and, um, because he doesn't have another way to do it. We did later, I see, you know, Trayvon and I were just talking about this the other day. You, don't you know men who watch football and they're, they're watching football and their team doesn't do well and they're standing on their, their coffee table? This is not my husband. I could not have married this. But I have good friends who are standing on their coffee table screaming at the television set because of their football thing. And I, and I know men who have thrown things too, right? So... I think it's important that we, we give them an outlet. Um, if somebody wants to yell at a football game and you're okay with that in your house, then you know, teach your child how to yell at the screen. My son used to have his friends over and they would all yell at the screen. Um, and if they wanted to, I would make a big bowl of popcorn and I, and I would say to them, you know, we'll vacuum afterwards, throw the popcorn. I know that's not everybody's thing. But in my house, it was like, yeah, throw the popcorn or have a pillow fight or whatever to get the, the feelings out, but we're not wrecking anything. Decide what's acceptable behavior in your house. Model it. Give them an outlet. Language it as much as possible. Talk about what's acceptable, what isn't. But I do think the reason why they love the video games so much is that it takes them to a heightened place where it's, it's drama and it's excitement and I got it and I didn't get it and it you know and it gets all those emotions out get him some bongos to set next to and you know say and beat the bongo when when you're mad about the game but don't if we hit the electronics the electronics that was one rule that we did have was if we hit the electronics the electronics has to take a time out you can't do that with an iPad if that's their form of communication because we never take that away get a really good cover for the iPad if that's the case okay um, Amber says, thank you so much for talking to us. I have three kids on the spectrum. My youngest is the only one who has been aggressive, so I feel like I'm brand new autism all over again. And it's as simple as, imagine, for those of you who are the youngest, I'm a middle child, I'm not the youngest, but I'm, I'm, if I'm the youngest of three children and I'm trying to figure out how to communicate my needs, I, you know, they're going to, it's not unusual that the youngest would resort to uh, doing something, but we're just not going to let it go. Yeah. 
Um, the hardest part is that actually the others, especially family that are all aware of autism in the last 16 years of our lives managing behavior, saying that he must be spanked and that he's spoiled. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we need to talk about that for a second, right? Because I, in my book, one of the things that I say, and for me, I, boy, I have to practice this on a daily basis, other people's opinions of my parenting is none of my business and that I can't go there. It's a long hallway that has no fruit for me. There's nothing there. So other people's opinions of my parenting, none of my business. They're going to have their thoughts and their feelings. Oh my gosh, my mother, when, she, when my son was aggressing, she, basically she was like, you, you, know, you need to take care of that. You need to, and I said, what do you mean when you say that? And I was like, Are you, you basically want me to beat him out of it? I'm not doing that. That's, that's just not, A, that's never, it's been proven a million times over that doesn't work, right? Um, and it's not who I want to be as a parent. And um, no, 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 no. And it doesn't work. So, um, yeah. Um, so, first of all, Amber, I want to say to you, you're doing an awesome job. And run your own race. And, you know, you might... Isn't it ironic because you have a family who knows more about autism, but you might have to remind them everyone's different. And we're going to look at this as different and see if you, you know, if it's worth it to school somebody because they're either really up your tree or there's somebody that you want to have a worthwhile relationship with to sit them down and say to them, hey, this is a form of communication. Can we look at it that way? And can we take the stigma out of it? Because we want to be productive with this. Um, and, and if they'll listen, great. And if they won't, sometimes you've got to put somebody on hold for a while and say, hey, we'll call you when we have this back under control, but what you're doing isn't helping me. I had to say to my mother at a certain point, support or silence. These are the choices, Mom. That's all I have room for. You can either be silent about it or you can support it. And, of course, my mother, God rest her soul, said to me, well, I guess I'll have to be silent because I, there's no way I can support what you're doing. And I was like, good job on the silence, Mom. And now I understand a little bit more where she's coming from because I constantly have to go when I'm telling my son something. Okay. Uh, not getting, uh, Laurie says, not getting his way with his tablet or candy or something that's not uh, right away. That's why he gets mad for the time right before bed or breakfast time. He wants ice cream at 5.30. Well, you know, um, I got to be honest, Lori, that sounds like he is already a kid who's starting to want to have control. And we talked about this the other day, that if your entire day you have to wait for other people to tell you what you can do and when you can do it and when you can have time off and da 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 you know, it gets frustrating. It's all part of the growing up process and why we all want to grow up because none of us want to be micromanaged. None of us. And it's a sign that, you know, he's asserting independence but I would just say to you uh, two things. I, I go back to what Hank always says, which is uh, up the praise tell for yourself and for him. Tell him what a great job he's doing whenever he is. Pay less attention to the times when, you know, he's not having a good time, but give him more praise for the times when he is. And I would give him more control and let him earn control. Obviously, you don't want to do ice cream for breakfast every day, but if you know that that's his currency and there's something that's super hard for him, you could offer that up every once in a while and say, here's the deal. We need for you to, uh, let's, let's say that, you know, when 
you, you can only have candy, whatever the rule is, you can only have candy once a day. And if you ask for candy and we say that it's not this time, then you have to, you know, be a good sport about it. And we teach him what that means. What is it? And we show him, this is what it looks like to be a good sport. And every time that you're a good sport, when you ask for something and you don't get it, we put a gold sticker on the wall. And when you get six gold stickers, you get to have ice cream for breakfast. Then all of a sudden you flip the script. And he's like, oh, okay, well, I'd like ice cream for breakfast. I want to have control over that. So I'm going to be a good sport. And I know what being a good sport is. Uh, just something to try. Um, okay, um, Amber says, trying to communicate to those who really do know better that, that doing what is wrong is worse than anything we could do. It's heartbreaking to have to explain uh, this isn't a child who is bad. He's communicating. And, and you know, it, I, I got to say to you, Amber, I'm sending you a hug. It's so hard because don't we just want support? This is why I say it's important for us to talk parent to parent. What we'd, what we'd really just like is somebody to say, hey, you're doing a good job. How can I help? And yet everybody has to show up. And I love the meme that says, if you don't, if you don't know what a VIP and an IEP and an antecedent modification and an establishing operation, and you know, if you don't know what all these things are, then please don't help me with intervention. <laughs> Like, like, if you haven't been in the field long enough to, like, know what those things are, then step aside. Like, how many children on the spectrum have these people raised? And, and even then, they could have, like, you know, what do I know? I raised one child on the spectrum. He's not the same as your child. You have to trust yourself and, and be around the people who, who feed your soul right now. You're doing something really difficult. You're showing up for three kids who are unique and awesome and different and that you're having to learn new languages with them. So anybody who's not supporting you in that, you might have to go, hey, I'll see you in a year. And you can come back to them. I've come back to some friends who don't get it, who don't know what we did. It's okay. They don't have to. I don't know what they did either, but we took a break. Um, So, uh, okay. So, uh, Lelouch says he's six, and yes, we're between ABA therapy. His language is enough for us to understand. Okay. Um, and my son is nine, and he's an ABA, but we can't afford more than four hours a week because our insurance won't cover. It's $85 an hour. Um, okay. Well, let's wait a second on that because here's the thing. If your insurance covers ABA and there is no provider that that, that has their rate, which we're seeing more and more of, you can petition and ask them. Um, they have to provide it, regardless of the cost. So um, if, if they if they can't if they don't have a provider for you that is in network who will take their shoddy twenty five dollars an hour, then they have to provide somebody out of network. You can get something called called a single case agreement. If you want to, Amber, write to me and I'll I'll walk you through some of that. Um, it, my, my email is Shannon at autism hyphen live.com. Uh, okay. Uh, so, uh, oh, Johanny, you're at Atlantic city beach. You go girl. Uh, okay. So, uh, yes, 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 yes. I'm just seeing all these good advice. You guys are writing in so much. I love it. Um, yeah, Bobby says spanking an autistic child because of behavior, in my opinion, is a, uh, abuse. 
Um, that's my opinion too. I'm not about spanking. I will, I will not sit here and say that I never did it because I, I, you know, I, I did. I think there are four times that I can remember when I spanked my child and I hated myself every single time and I, and I didn't like it and it didn't work and it's wrong. And I, I, I'm not about that. Um, I, I don't think I'd, I'd be about it even if it did work, but it doesn't work. If it did work, we wouldn't have prisons. You know what I'm saying? So no. Um, oh, Bobby, thank you. I'm, I'm glad that you're here too. Uh, Michael's watching from Philadelphia. Wonderful. Uh, Erica A says, yes, he gets tantrums all day and he wants to eat every hour and he gets mad and throws stuff or screams or makes, cho- or makes noises. I think, you know, we, we have to find some time in the day when it's his choice. Um, and if you have to, you know, start with that and work for another way, but we all want what we want. Right. And, and, and there's a way if you want this and they want that, then it's always going to be a battle. Right. But if we can go and go, well, what is it they want and get on that page with them, then we can start to build trust and move things in a direction. We, they, we don't want them to have to, um, Oh, Bobby says, I just lost them on the compliance training sticker chart. Sorry, but that's no different than ABA. Bobby, you got to know, um, I love ABA. I'm a big fan of ABA and I know I lost you and, and I understand that, but I'm a big fan of ABA that's good and that's about being fair and that's about being even. And, and that ABA exists in the world everywhere, not just with autism. Uh, it exists everywhere. And I know you're sorry, but I wish, I wish I could show you the ABA that I mean, Bobby. Uh, but I, I, we talked about this yesterday that you say ABA and there's a whole lot of people that it's automatic trauma. And I, and I hear that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, uh, Erica says, how did you all keep y'all's kids shoes on? He takes them off and his socks. Well, um, first of all, you know, you have to look at a couple of different things. Why do the shoes hurt? Are the socks hot? Um, you know, will he wear any shoes at all? Or is it all shoes that he will not wear? Uh, look at his feet. If you put shoes on him and you take them off and, and, and you take the shoe off and there's any mark on the foot, that means the shoe doesn't fit well. There should be no marks on the foot if you take the shoe off, right? The shoe might be hot. You can get shoes that have vents in them or that are um, mesh. You know, try different shoes to see, is it the shoe? Um, will he wear flip-flops? Or will he wear the thing that just has the band across? What kind of shoe? Um, let's start there. Uh, Art, Art just popped in for a moment. Can't stay, but bravo, Shannon. So proud of you. You're fantastic. And this has been marvelous advice. Uh, Art is an expert in aggression. I can't believe we have Art here with us. Okay. Uh, but Art, we're talking about that thing. I always just talk to you about being upside down. So Art, so you guys know, when I was being hit in the head, um, I came into our ABA provider and I said, I need help because if I don't get help, um, cause he would hit me in the head and, I, and this thing was boiling in me and I didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I said to them, something bad is going to happen. I can't, I don't know what that was in my head. Wouldn't let, I don't know if I was going to walk away. I don't know if I was going to sit down and cry. I don't know whether, I, I don't know. I don't know what I was going to do, but I said, something bad is going to happen if we don't solve this. I can't live this way. He would just pummel, I would put him into the car seat and he would just pummel me while I was picking him up, putting him in the car seat. And so Art and Dr. Uh, Jonathan Tarbox were the experts that they brought in on the case to help us. 
and Art was going through this lengthy explanation for me about how I was going to defend myself and block so that I didn't get hit while I was putting him in the car seat. And, and all the antecedent modification, Art was talking me through the whole thing, and I was getting madder and madder and madder. And he could tell that I was, mm, as he's sitting explaining this to me, and he's demonstrating it to me, and I'm just, mm. and, um, and finally he was like, is what, you know, what? Because Art is the sweetest, nicest person on the face of the planet. And I said, Art, where is your purse in this scenario? You don't have a purse, so you don't get to tell me anything. Because you're, you're not, my purse isn't there and my purse is, what, in the shopping cart by itself and I'm getting my wallet stolen? Or my purse is on my back and hitting me in the head while he's hitting me in the head? Where's my purse, Art? I was nasty. And Art looked at me and he was like, oh, oh, is that a part of the equation? You didn't mention that. So your purse is a part of the problem? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm in the store, Art. I got a purse. And you're a man, so you wouldn't know that, Art. And Art was just so calm and cool and collected. He was like, oh, okay, let me ask you something. Would you be willing to wear a fanny pack for a couple of weeks while we do this intervention? And I was like, what? (laughs) Like that never occurred to me. And then as soon as he said it, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I can wear a fanny pack. And I wore the fanny pack. I did his intervention. It worked, and my kid stopped hitting me in the head. This is what I'm saying. Okay. Uh, Erica says he doesn't like wearing any type of shoes. I buy him one size bigger. He wears Crocs and sandals and Converse, but he doesn't like shoes. But even if they're one size bigger, I'm wearing shoes right now that I absolutely love, but I got them wide and they're a little bit too big. And I got a blister yesterday because they were too big. And, you know, I didn't really want to wear them today, but I liked them so much I was going to wear them. So even like it could be that too big is, is too big. Yeah. Um, so something to consider. All right, we got to move on here because we're stuck on the upside down. Okay, so let's get a flashlight on this, um, and let's understand that if, if aggression is happening, it's happening for a reason, and it can get better, and it might get worse before it gets better. Okay, I just lost some people because uh, you're like, I can't afford for it to get worse, but stick with me because it, it getting worse before it gets better is a sign that you're doing the right thing. I know that doesn't make sense yet. Stick with me, but you're probably going to need help with aggression and you need to let go of the idea that you should be able to take care of this by yourself. It's just not true. I don't know who put that idea in our heads, but more often than not, this is a, a pattern of behavior that your child is doing and they think that it works for them and it's going to be a little bumpy before it gets better and you're probably going to need help. I'd rather you get expert help and use a really good ABA team or someone that you trust, but if that isn't available to you, it's time to pull in the most empathetic member of your family who has said, how can I help? And say, you're going to be my partner on this. Um, I also want you to know that sometimes the help doesn't look like what you wanted it to. Like when I said to them, I need help with this, and then they were like, oh, well, let's go upstairs and let's bring down these two men to help you. My first thing was, oh, geez, they're going to mansplain this to me. I'm sorry. That is my go-to. And I was like, which is why I was in the space when he was demonstrating. I was like, "Mm, where's the purse? He ended up helping me immensely. Thank you, Art. Um, and I'm always grateful to Art for that help. So you got to listen and be willing to take the help. And sometimes it shows up in a way that isn't, um, Tilly Willie says, funny, I bought a backpack to make it easier when I go out with my daughter. 
You know, it's the 80s fashion statement, um, but it can help. Um, Amber says, the first time my child hit me, I immediately thought uh, how to make sure he doesn't do this again because his lack of communication right now will quickly be criminalized and traumatizing for him. Amber, you're on the right side of that equation. You are. And it's better to do it younger. I don't know how old everybody, their kiddos are that are here with us, but, it, you know, whatever now is better than a week from now because catching it early, well, early is now. So if you have a 15-year-old that's hitting you, now is the good time to work on that. If you have a three-year-old who's hitting you, now is the good time to work on that. Now. Uh, yes, as he's getting bigger, his screaming and more hitting with his hands is, is being... Yeah, they will do it more, and it will be harder for you to get control of it because we, the pattern gets more um, ingrained, right? Okay. So our, my first question for you, like besides how cute are the corgis, um, is are you ready? Because if you aren't, then you have to do whatever you have to do to get ready. Because if we're going to intervene um, for aggression, you got to mentally get yourself ready. And it means that you're going to, you are going to have to change some things and you're going to have to be willing. I had to be willing to ask for help. I had to be willing to wear the fanny pack. I had to be willing to say to Art, your intervention isn't working because where is my purse in this scenario? And that's hard because sometimes you're like, well, they just don't get it. I had to be willing to do all that. I had to be rested enough to be able to deal with this. The first time that we dealt with aggression, it was self-injurious. My son used to hit his head on the kitchen floor. And when our ABA providers started with us, they said, you know, you're not ready. You're not well slept enough. We have to get him sleeping through the night before we can do this because I wasn't ready. Don't be ashamed of yourself if you're not ready, but ask yourself, what would I have to do to be ready? Does that mean that you have to invite a family member to come live with you and stay with you for a week so that you can get rested enough? But you have to be ready. One of the things that I used to love on the wall of card when my son was being treated there was that there was this amazing sign, and I think I've changed it slightly, um, but the quote was, welcome to a community of people who have decided that easy will no longer suffice. So we're not going to take the easy road. We're going to take the road of what's best for the child, and we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure out what they're trying to communicate, and we're going to break the cycle of the aggression. And we're going to do that in a way that's fair and empathetic and um, that helps them to get their need met. I'm going to say this a million times. If we aren't helping them to get whatever the need was to begin with that they were communicating, it doesn't matter what we do after that. You can do everything in the intervention correctly and properly, and you're not going to get there because they still have the need, and the need is paramount. So we're going to teach them how to get that need met, but then we are going to make sure that when they aggress, they don't get their needs met by aggression. We're going to prove to them it doesn't work because if they, if they see it doesn't work, then they're going to move on to something else. Um, does that make sense? And we're going to take the corgis with us because this is hard. Okay, we've got to remove the stigma. Stop. We've, I think we've already just talked about this ad infinitum, right? Um, it is just behavior. They are not a bad child. You aren't bad. They aren't bad. This is nobody's fault, but there is work to be done. Look at that sad little puppy with those beautiful velvet ears. Um, there is no bad child. There is no bad parent. There is behavior that is not acceptable, 
there is behavior that is harmful. It is not your fault if your child is hitting. I, and I, and I, I say that to you from a parent who got upside down on it. I don't want you to be upside down. So let's all, whoop, we're going to come at it from the point of view of that it's behavior. That's all. And it's communication. Yeah? Okay. And again, I, I really wish that you could work with professionals. If you can get a board-certified behavior analyst to do a functional behavior assessment to figure out what is the function of the behavior, you will have a much more effective way of dealing with it. Because if I am hitting you to get your attention, then we talked about this the other day, then we're going to do an intervention where we teach the person how to appropriately ask for attention. And we're going to give it to them on a regular basis. And we're going to give them attention even when they don't appropriately ask for it. We're going to make sure their bucket is full so that they never have to hit to get attention. But if I am hitting you because I'm trying to escape the buzz of the lights above me, then giving them lots of attention does nothing, absolutely nothing. It will not help anyone. So it is imperative that we understand what is it that they're trying to get, and then we teach them how to get that without the aggression. And it means we got to take data on it. Um, And professionals are better at taking data than we are, as a rule. Not always, but as a rule. And... And you want to be able to measure because you want to see if what you're doing is effective. Okay? Uh, Okay, so a functional behavior assessment. What is that? Uh, What is the function of the behavior? Remember we talked about this on Monday. There, You can go back over that Monday's talk. Uh, Those are the the four usual suspects with the fifth one, the sometimes why, right? So they want access to something or somebody. They want attention. They want escape. It feels good. And, and, and we got to talk about that with aggression because sometimes it feels good to just pop off. Sometimes it feels good to punch something. Why do people go to gyms and punch punching bags? Because it feels good. And if you get into a habit where the person to get their needs is punching you, it can start for attention, but it can become automatic reinforcing because it feels good. You don't want that to happen. And it can be for control. If I punch you and you stand down and stop telling me I can't do what I want to do, hey, I have control over the situation, don't I? Um, Right? So all of those things, and it's important to know, I just talked about, if, if if we try to intervene with a strategy for the wrong thing, it could cause more aggression. Okay, so... At some point, we're going to make a behavior intervention plan for, for why the person is hitting, how to teach them to do you know, whatever they need to do to get their need met without hitting. We're going to put a consequence strategy in place. We talked about all of these kinds of things on Monday, but it's specifically going to be around the aggression. Now, if you don't understand the intervention plan and you look at it and it's gobbledygook to you, it's not going to work. It's not. And if everybody in the family doesn't understand it um, and isn't able to do it, like if I had just said to Art, oh, okay, thank you, and then walked away and was like, I'm not going to be able to do that because I have a purse, then my, ch- my son might still be hitting me in the head all these years later and think of all the things we would have missed out on. So when somebody's making a behavior intervention plan, you got to say, I don't understand this. Go over it with me again. Or they're making an intervention plan that you go, there's no way I'm going to be able to do that. I have three other kids. I'm not going to be able to do that. You have to stand your ground and say, no, I've got to be able to do it. 
you have to be willing and able, so you physically have to be able to do it. If they're asking you to, to like physically move your child someplace and your child is 16 and outweighs you, you got to say to the person, I, that's not going to happen. You have to be able to fight for understanding and, and, and be willing and able to carry it out. And if you see that you can't, I talk to parents so many times that I say, did you talk to the ABA provider? What did they say to do? And they say, oh, you know, it's these 22-year-old people who don't have kids, and they told me I should do this, but they don't, they don't understand that he's doing it while I'm cooking dinner. What, am I not going to cook dinner? you got to say that to your people, you guys. You have to say to them. And when you do, just like when I said to Art, where's my purse in this scenario, Art? And Art was like, oh, is that the problem? Art was thrilled. He didn't take it personally. Art was like, oh, well, let me problem solve that for you. Can you wear a fanny pack? And then we were off to the races. Um, we also, I talked about this the other day, check for holes in the plan. I talked about the fact that we made this whole plan and it was working well. And then my son started hitting again. And we were like, where, where is the hole in the plan? And we found it was the OT who was allowing herself to be hit. <sighs> Make me crazy, right? Um, all right, let's, uh, so the behavior, in order for it to work, it's got to have all these elements, right? Um, okay, let's talk about the extinction burden. So you, you find out what the function of the behavior is. You have the behavior intervention plan, and a lot of us were like, oh, thank God, because now things can start to get better. But then something happens that's called the extinction burst. So let's talk a little bit about what an extinction burst is for. first. If I'm used to doing something and it works, then I am stunned when it doesn't. And the example that I always give, because we all understand this, is that every day I go into my bathroom and I turn on the light, on the, on the light switch in the bathroom. Except that we used to live in a house where sometimes it wouldn't work. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I don't know, moisture from the shower, whatever. But, you know, I would go in and I would turn the light switch on and I would expect... The consequence I expect is that light floods the room. Um, but then it wouldn't sometimes. And so what would I do? Even though I am an intelligent adult, I would stand, and I understand, you flick the light switch and it works, and if it doesn't, something, you know, it could be the light bulb is burnt out, it could be electrical, whatever. I know this, and yet I would stand there and I would flick the light switch on and off, on and off, on and off, hoping for a different result because I was used to a different result. This is our kids with an extinction burst. If every time I um, throw a tantrum, you give me what I want, then that's what works. That's my light switch. I throw a tantrum, you give me what I want. Woohoo! We're good, right? And then all of a sudden, you get enlightened and somebody talks to you and says, hey, you know, you're feeding that behavior. And you go, oh, I don't want to do that. So I'm, and they say, cut it off at the blood supply, no longer give them what they want when they're engaged in the behavior. So Let's take it to aggression. Let's say that when I want the ball, I hit my brother. I just whack him, and he drops the ball, and I get the ball. And I maybe only get it for 10 seconds before mom takes it away from me and tells me you can't do that and, and says go stand in the corner or whatever the intervention is, right? But I still got the ball for 10 seconds. Woohoo! I'm going to do it again because it worked. I got the ball. So I whack in my brother and I go, hey, this, since this worked for the ball, I think I'll try it for something else. And, you know, and I whack people and now I'm whacking everybody, right? 
But so let's go back to the ball example. So we look at that and we go, the function of this behavior was they wanted access to the ball. So we're going to teach them how to appropriately ask for the ball. And for every kiddo, that's going to look different. It might be saying ball. It might be holding up a card that says ball. It might be tapping them on the shoulder and they know that that's you asking for the ball, right? We're teaching you how to appropriately ask for the ball. And every time you appropriately ask for the ball, you get the ball, right? But if you hit, then we have to make sure that you don't even get the ball for a second. We want to block it because we don't want the other kid to get hit. But if for some reason you hit the kid, the ball goes immediately away, right? Now, what happens to me as a person? I go, hmm, this used to always work. Why isn't it working? I think I'll try it again. Remember the light switch? I'm turning it on and off. It doesn't even have to make sense. It's I'm used to, I do this and this happens. I did this, it didn't happen, I'm going to try harder. That is what an extinction burst is. We all do it. It's not an autism thing, but people on the autism spectrum do it too. You do it, I do it. Extinction burst. But what happens sometimes, and the reason why I want you to understand this, is that if you intervene for a behavior and there's a sudden burst of it comes even more and you're going to get a bigger tantrum and the tantrum's going to last longer because it's always worked before, I'm going to try harder. If I throw myself on the floor and kick and scream, you eventually give in, then I'm going to scream that much longer, right? And we just have to toe the line. And, and you know, I always tell the story about my son hitting his head on the kitchen floor and the day that we finally did the intervention for it, the intervention, what they discovered was that it was attention-driven, that mom gave him attention. If he hit his head on the kitchen floor, mom picked him up, rubbed his head, gave him lemonade, gave him a cookie, rocked him in the chair, and sang to him. So if I asked him to do something he didn't want to do and he'd rather have my attention, he'd throw himself on the floor. And I was feeding the behavior. It doesn't make me a bad person but I was feeding the behavior. So they decided that the intervention for this would be that they taught him a bunch of ways to ask for my attention and I was giving it, right? But one day he threw himself on the floor and started to hit his head on the floor. Now the first thing we did was made sure that he was safe, but then after that the therapist said, I'm just gonna talk you through this and I just want you to do what I tell you to do. And I was like, okay. And, and he said, I want you to go dust the television. Like dust the television? And my kid freaked out and was having the mother of all tantrums. I was in the same room with him, not ignoring him. I'm right there with him, but I wasn't picking him up, rubbing his head, whatever. I'm dusting the television. And he's screaming, and we made it so that he couldn't throw anything or hit his head on anything, and I'm, I'm dusting the television. He's losing his mind worse than he ever had before, and I'm like, aren't I supposed to do something? And they're like, no, nope, dust the television. And then they wanted me to water the plant. And I'm freaking, I'm crying now because my child is hysterical and screaming. And then finally they wanted me, I was saying, I can't do this. I can't. And my therapist was so good and he said, it's been 22 minutes. Can you imagine? 22 minutes and you're doing good, mom. You're doing a really good job. What you're doing is teaching him that if he, if, if he wants your attention, hitting his head isn't going to work. Hang in there. He's almost done. Hear how tired he is. Hear how tired you are. Hang in there. If you give in now, you will have taught him that he has to work this hard to get your attention. Is that what you want to teach him? No. I'm crying. So within two minutes, my son stopped crying and he went, Mama. I hadn't heard Mama 
in a really long time, you guys. This is why the tissues are here. And I, and I was so shorted out in that moment that I didn't know what to do, but because the therapist was there, the therapist said, now give him attention. Now, right this minute. Now, pick him up. Now, rub his head. Now, take him to the chair and rob, rock, rock him because he said, mama. And you know what? If the therapist hadn't been there, I might have missed that moment because I was so overwhelmed. But I did. I praised him for saying mama, and I gave him all the attention in the world, and my son never hit his head on the kitchen floor anymore. But that extinction burst was ugly. And this is why I say sometimes you need help. Um, because getting through it, you know, it, he just was screaming and screaming and screaming. Um, but, uh, you know, we never had that happen again. So you, you have to be willing to understand what the extinction burst is. You have to be, uh, have somebody who knows what they're doing. And again, we don't ignore the child. We're not ignoring the child. It's, but he was throwing a fit to get my attention, and, and before it was working, and I would have had, he would have had, a, you know, brain damage because he was hitting his head on the kitchen floor. We can't allow that. Okay, so dealing with the extinction burst, you have to have a plan. You have to be saying positive things to yourself. You have to ask for help. You have to remember to breathe. You have to remember to reward yourself for getting through it, and you have to remember that this is a sign that you're getting it right. If attention truly was the the goal of hitting his head on the kitchen floor, not giving attention to the hitting the head on the floor meant that he was going to try harder with the tantrum, but it meant that it was the right intervention. Um, If I do the wrong intervention, I'm not going to see an extinction burst. I'm just going to see the behavior continue. Uh, Okay? So uh, safety measures. We always have to think about everyone's safety when doing these kinds of interventions. It's why I encourage you to work with professionals. You, you know, because we don't just say, oh, well, they're going to throw a tantrum. Um, because kids can hurt themselves in a tantrum, right? So before they ever did the intervention with us, we went through the whole house. Things were padded. Um, there, were, there was a safety lock on the one floor where he could have hurt himself. So we had safety zones. We had people that were, you know, so my husband and I were tag team for backup so that somebody, you know, could be watching because, you know, we've seen kids pull things off the wall in frustration. We have to make sure that everybody is safe, um, that there's padding for them or for us. If the banging his head on the kitchen floor had continued, we would have had to have gotten him a padded helmet because we can't have them hurting themselves. Um, Now, when it's really tough and sometimes some of you are watching and you have older kids and and I know you're feeling like but that's not going to work with a 17 year old that's my my kid is 26 and he outweighs me by 100 pounds right then you really got to have backup and because it means you got to have more people and unfortunately with insurance it used to be that insurance would say okay if it takes two or three people to be intervened we'll pay for those people Insurance really won't do that anymore. Insurance says if it's that severe, then the right place for that person is a hospitalization program. Everybody breathe. Um, This is hard. This is really, really hard. But I can tell you that there are a couple of amazing hospitalization programs in the country. One of them is Kennedy Krieger. And I have seen young people of different ages go to a hospitalization program like Kennedy Krieger for six months. And it's it's about making sure that we take care of all the variables so that they cannot hurt themselves 
and that they aren't being rewarded for hurting themselves or others, right? But they're rewarded for everything else. And those individuals come back into the home with huge safety measures and lead happier lives because we've broken the cycle of the aggression. Here's the hard part. Those, those, there's only a couple of those programs in the country here in the United States, and the waiting lists are sometimes two years. If you feel like you're somebody who that's what you, where you got to go, I urge you to get on a waiting list as soon as possible. Um, but I will also tell you that there are other measures in between. There are some programs that are answering the call to this. They're few and far between, but they are out there. Where And they have different funding sources where sometimes people will move into the home for a period of time to be helpful. I, I don't have all the answers for you because society doesn't have all the answers for you. But I can only tell you, reach out and, you know, if you need to reach out to me and say, Shannon, tell me what you know. Just know that I don't have all the answers for this because we need more of these programs and we need insurance to fund it in a way that makes sense for families. And it, we're not there right now. We're not there right now. But for families who are like... You know, I, I've seen families who say, I'm going to make this happen. There are ways. There are ways. There just aren't enough, right? Um, so, and I don't want you to be afraid of the hospitalization if it comes to it. You need to make sure you do your research and have, make sure that it's someplace fabulous like Kennedy Krieger um, and that they're not doing anything that's harmful or inappropriate or unfair, right? But there are good hospitalization programs that people come out of and, you know, feel better. Uh, Okay. So aggression left unchecked is never good. It doesn't matter the age uh, or the, uh, the level of the person because, you know, if we leave aggression unchecked with a three-year-old and just say, well, it's their way of communicating, then that is what they learn That is how they learn to communicate, and it spreads like wildfire to other things. And and as we said, part of it is that it it has the potential to become automatically reinforcing, that if I hit someone, it feels good. Uh, You know? Um, It's just a thing, that they like the sound, they like the feel, they like, you know, uh, why do we have boxers? Talk to boxers. There is a pleasurable feeling and the release of the hormones, right? So we can't leave it unchecked. Uh, And, you know, I said before, now is the time. And that you might be kicking yourself and saying, oh gosh, I wished I'd done this 10 years ago. Let go of that. It didn't happen. It's not your story. And, And, you know, you didn't know what you know now in this moment. But now, (coughs) excuse me, is the moment where you need to get help. I've seen parents who, are, who then seclude themselves and say, I'm the only person they hit, so I'm going to stay home with them, and I just don't let this individual go out in public, and I'm going to protect them. And that's a very, very, very bad plan. Because what happens when something happens to you? And who is going to look at them in that way then? We have seen people be put in jail. There are people who are on the autism spectrum with no good communication skills that are locked up right now. I I hate even, we have to lovingly look at the llamas to distract us from the fact that, you know, our stomachs are are, are like, right now, thinking about 
what will happen to my child when I'm not there? And is there a possibility that my child could end up incarcerated? I mean, it happens. It happens. We know parents that are fighting to get their kids out. And I, and I don't know how many people are on the streets or locked up that the parent is no longer living. We can't allow that to happen to our kids. We have to help them to find the way to communicate their needs and to, com- and to feel their frustration and communicate their frustration without aggression. We have to prioritize listening to what it is that they're saying, teach them more effective ways of getting their needs met um, because we, we can't allow that to happen. Um, I think enough said that. Okay, but who can you trust? This is very hard. Um, We have also seen people, people that I have met that I thought were reasonable people and that got in the upside down and that felt like there was no one that they could trust. And as a result of that, in two cases of people that I personally was aware of through the show, they, in one case, they were successful in killing their child, which is unspeakable, unspeakable. But, you know, if you talk to them, they say, I did it to be kind. No, I reject. That is, your, you know, that is not the thing. There's no justification for that. In the other case, uh, they tried to kill both themselves and their child and were unsuccessful on both counts. But it is documented mental illness. But it doesn't start out of nowhere. And, and I have seen over the years that it starts in that upside down, and it starts with the seed of the thought that there's no one that I can trust, that there is no one who can take care of my child, so I, and I'm not going to be able to do it. So we go to these horrible, mentally ill extremes. So I'm going to say to all of you, Before you're in that space, right now, today, identify who you can trust. Find people, make a list, put it somewhere, look at it when you're worried. Have your child be with these people. Talk to these people. Find people that you can go to. It might only be one person, but find someone that you can trust so that it is never the thought that is in your mind when you are in the worst possible mind space, that you have no one that you can trust with your child. Let's all work on that today. We're going to listen to your child. We're going to find out what it is they're communicating through their aggression. Hopefully you're going to work with professionals to break the habit of aggression, but first you're going to teach them a way to get their needs met without aggression, and you're going to listen and watch and learn from them about how angry they are and how much they need control because everybody's different, how much attention they need, right? But while you're doing all of that, identify people in your family, in your community, in your friendship. Who can I trust? A doctor. If you had to drop your child off tomorrow to someone because there was an emergency, who would you trust? Make sure that there is someone Everybody, this is your homework, everybody has to have somebody. And and I think it's important to have many people. Can I tell you that eventually what we did, because I used, there was a point in time, my husband and I were almost in a car accident, and I was so upset afterwards thinking about what if we'd both been wiped off the planet and what would have happened to our child. 
And I couldn't imagine just one person to take care of our child. So what I did was I assigned different things to different people that I said to one person, you're in charge of making sure that he's okay financially. You don't have to do anything else. He's not living with you, but I want you to check. You're good with money. Whatever money is left from the insurance, I want you to check in with him. He might be able to manage his own money by the time that happens, but I want you to be his financial advisor for life. Done, right? We had other parents uh, that we have family members that are lawyers, and we said, you're, you're in charge of everything legal. Uh, we have ABA godparents, people that if anything happens and if he has questions, even now there's things that where he just needs something decoded, and he knows who those people are now. Um, but I knew who they were. We had people who were assigned to be his custodial uh, parent if we weren't here. Um, and we had somebody who was assigned to check in on them and make sure that they stayed. Because, you know, 20 years later, people go cuckoo, right? Even people you love, right? So I couldn't think of just one person. So instead of, I, I thought of like 24 people. And, you know, for me, that was better. Because I kept thinking, well, what happens if somebody ha something happens to them? I couldn't trust just one person. And I sort of segmented it out, and I talked to all of those people, and they all agreed and said, oh, I can manage that. He hasn't ha even has theater godparents that are, are people that I, I said, we are, both of us want him to be somebody who appreciates, appreciates theater. So if we're not here, you're responsible for taking him to good theater so that he knows what that is. Um, you have to build trust with people, right? But trust yourself first, listen to your child, stop stigmatizing aggression, just look at it as, as communication, and for heaven's sake, um, I want you to think about other people's opinions of my parenting, none of my business. None of my business. You're all doing a great job. I uh, appreciate all of you and all of your time and your words and your love for people who are on the spectrum and, and the understanding of that, of course, if you don't have a way of communicating your needs, you're going to get frustrated. And of course, you're going to get aggressive. I've always said, if aliens ever picked me up and took me someplace else and, um, and I didn't speak their language and they didn't have this, you know, the same hand signals that we have, how long would it take before Shannon would start throwing furniture and smacking people around? Because I would need to go to the bathroom. I would be hot or cold. I wouldn't want to know where I was, when they were going to take me back to my... I would have questions, right? And if I couldn't communicate, I would try everything for 15 minutes and then I would start throwing things. And then I would start hitting people. That is life. That is, that is the human experience. So let's not judge. Let's communicate. Let's find the way to communicate with our kiddos. All right. I love you all. Do you know what we're going to talk about tomorrow? I'm so excited about it. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how to get and utilize an aid in the classroom. Because you guys ask me this all the time. How do you get it? How do you get the aid? How, you know, I asked at the IEP. They said no. Blah, 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 blah. So tomorrow I'm going to give you the crash course. This is the language you use to get, get the one-on-one -on -one aid because almost all of you can. You can might be a fight. Um, but let's make sure, why do you want it? How do you want to use it? And then once you do get the aid, then what, you know, how do you maintain this and have this be something that's actually helpful and not harmful to the student, your child? All right? 
Ah, thank you guys so much for being here with us. I love you all. I will be back tomorrow. Until then, we'll be live tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>